Let us pray. Our precious Father, I want to thank you again for the privilege we have together tonight to study your word. We have prayed and we trust you, Lord, that in answer to our prayers, you will manifest your glory among us, teaching us, causing your word to have entrance into every hearer, because then that's the only time it will bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the doctrines of the church, part four. I guess this should be part four. Our text is 2 Timothy 1.9. Let's just jump in right away. 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. So we can see God's priority in, in his calling. When we talk about God showing us, the, you know, reveal a, 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 give us revelation of his calling, why he called us. The Holy Spirit is telling us that on the, number one on the agenda is to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus, that through Christ Jesus, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will save us from sin and make us new creatures, produce his holy nature in us. That has been his plan. So, in Galatians 6.15, the Holy Spirit again makes us understand that the priority in this program of God is that we live this new life of holiness that Christ died to give us. So in Galatians 6.15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts, take note of that, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. It says, and to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. So this holy life comes through the work of grace. The new life transformed, transformed into a new creation. Verse 16, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. They are the Christians, the real Christians. People who live by this principle that is enunciated here for us. We are new creatures, but have we been transformed in character, in reality, in our lives as new creatures? Now, the Holy Spirit again put it in another way. When he wrote to us in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he said, let love be your highest goal. In other words, in other words let this be your highest goal. It's not just, you know, God bless me, God bless my children, God bless my job. It's all good. I mean, we should desire that. But we can't do that at the expense of the number one thing on God's own agenda. I don't have enough time. You can see from Scripture that if you pursue God's own agenda, every other thing will be added to you. Actually, if, you know, if you're not living this type of life, it can hinder you in every other way. It can keep you in darkness. This is the, the real McCoy. This is the real thing, the real deal right here, is to seek to live 
the life of Christ, the life of love, the same love we saw him demonstrate, he showed us God. God is love. And he said, there's no love greater than this, that a man should lay down his life for others. And he said, I'm not being forced to do this. I'm just demonstrating my father's life. He said, I'm laying down my life. I can take it up. I can I'm not being forced. I'm not under obligation. I'm motivated by the same love of my father for all of you. So we should have that priority in our life that the life of Christ should manifest through us. The love of God should manifest through us. That the character of Christ should manifest through us. Because we are supposed to be a revelation of Christ. We are supposed to be a revelation of Christ. Okay, so let's do some, some background things, some things because we know it's been a while since we, we got together. So I want to go back and do some, um, touch up on some very, very important points that we discussed before so that this flow will continue. We started off by reminding ourselves that we're talk, talking about doctrine. Some of you may have forgotten. So what is doctrine? Teaching of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. A set of belief systems that every believer adheres to. A set of belief systems. The direct revelation of the truth from God to man, called the oracle of God. That's the doctrine of, of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is the source of Christian doctrine? It's the scriptures. There is no other source of Christian doctrine except the scriptures. Second Timothy 2.16. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, number one. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Because it is given by the inspiration of God. And it's given to us for doctrine. God inspired it. God inspired it. It's a revelation from God to us. So it's given to us for doctrine. There is nothing else given to us for doctrine except the scripture. And so why is the scripture the only source of doctrine? It's a direct revelation of uh, truth from God to man. In 2 Peter 1.20, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It, it doesn't lend itself to private intellectual discourse because it's not from man. So it's not for any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you see, so the holy men of God, they wrote it, they received this direct revelation from God, and they wrote it for us. So that's why the scripture is the only source of doctrine. Now, how important is the doctrines? It saves you from error and demonic deceit. First Timothy 4.16, take heed unto thyself. You see, take heed is be careful. Unto yourself first. Timothy, you are a pastor. But don't take it unto yourself first, Timothy. Because if you are deceived, you deceive others who hear you. So he said, take it unto yourself, unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Don't be careless about what you believe and what you teach people. Unto the doctrine. A lot of people are eager to teach, 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 teach. But they don't really take time to make sure that what they are teaching is not, it's not demonic doctrine. It's not deceitful doctrine. 
And Jesus warned us that if we make one of these ones that believe in him to, to fall, that we are better we are not born. I tell people, I say, if you are teaching, be careful what you are doing. Because the Bible says, do not be many teachers, that we are going to have more accountability with God. You should give account to God what you did to people's souls and lives by the kind of things you are teaching them. So Paul was warning Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Timothy, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You can destroy yourself, destroy those who hear you. You can. I know that one very popular preacher, you know, one time he told me, he said, the Lord told me to go and curse some people. I said, why? He said, because they are living in disobedience. I said, God sent you to curse them? He said, yeah, he told me. I said, really? And he believed that. Very popular teacher of the Bible. That's error. Because Jesus himself said, you shall not curse. And he can't change it tomorrow. He said, you should really bless. And why should you curse the people? Because they're not doing the will of God. You that are cursing them. <laughs> do you do all the will of God all the time? They were we sent to curse people or to preach the gospel to them? You see how error comes. And this, this person I'm telling you is so popular. People listen to him. So popular. Number two is that the doctrine creates standard and unity of faith. Making sure we all believe the same thing and mature in that truth until we, can, we are no more vulnerable by deceits. For instance, what that man told me, if I were going by his title and popularity, I would easily follow what he said. But I chose to go with the scripture. I, I don't want to argue because there's no time to argue for it. They won't even believe. Because a lot of people believe in cursing people. They have their anointing. They t use it to, in to intimidate people. I know another person told me, he said, that this man, he said he has a problem. He said, yeah, when I had it, and I, the, he said people told him that, you know, he should be, what he did to me, he doesn't know I have the anointing. He doesn't know I have the anointing. You know, and now he's paying the price for what he did to me. I'll listen to all that junk. So she's happy. Somebody is suffering. It, it says because he has the anointing, so he, because he, he did something wrong with So anybody that does wrong, something wrong to you, God, start, the anointing start killing them. <laughs> the anointing sets free. <laughs> the anointing of God breaks yokes. It doesn't put yoke on people. See how people talk? He's using it to intimidate people. Have the anointing. Be careful what they're doing with So it gives, us, it gives us standard of what all of us should believe and be safe. Standard and, and boundaries of the truth. So that it's, it's not all commas. You know, we come here, you teach, I tell people, all this fellowship, you are going to be sure what the doctrines you are hearing. Because if you don't have a standardization of doctrine, you are going to be corrupted at a point. Because somebody comes from this church, brings this, comes from this, bring this. There's cacophony of things and there's likelihood to be pollution right there because nobody keeps the standard like in, in the church there's standard 
We have what we believe. That guides us. You can't come here and confuse us. We'll say no. If you teach us, we'll tell you to leave us alone. Leave. Find another church. So it really, it really creates standard for everybody to be safe. Very good standard. And then we mature in that truth because we believe it. We grow in it until we are no more vulnerable to deceit. That's what exactly Ephesians 4.11 said. It says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. See, that's why you have pastors and teachers. Perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the defining of the body of Christ, to teach them to grow. If I start in, till we all come in the unity of faith, we believe the same thing. If there's no standardization, we will believe differently and cause confusion. And why am I at it? You can fellowship with other Christians. You may not all have that perfect uh, agreement in everything, but as, uh, if you have agreement in the fact that Jesus saves, and um, you are saved by faith alone in Christ, then you are saved. You may not know everything perfectly, so you can have fellowship with other believers. But there are dangerous doctrines you should run away from. So unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. You see, it grows you into maturity, into this fullness of the life of Christ. And 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. Why? Because we are grounded in the true God doctrine. We can't be tossed to and fro, like the examples I've given you already, and carried about with every wind of doctrine that comes to town. No, there are standards. The scripture says all the standards. Say this is the this is the word of God. If it's not scripture, then we can't believe that. We can't accept that. So it's not everything that comes to town that you get interested in. You need to be sure that it agrees with the oracle of God, with the revealed truth as in the scripture. So we're no more tossed, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and coining craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are a lot of them these days, so many. Now, since doctrine comes only from Scripture, listen to this. Since it comes only from Scripture, then you can't teach doctrine with your dream and your vision. You can't say, I had this dream, therefore that you should believe it. No, I'm not believing it. I don't know who gave you the dream. I'm not believing it too. You can't teach doctrine. You can't not teach doctrine with your dream and visions. You cannot. Even if it's genuine gifts of the Spirit, it was not given for doctrine. You cannot. Otherwise, then there's room, it will create room for confusion. So I can come and say, I had this dream, and then teach it, and then Brother John will come and say, oh, oh, I had this other dream, and then we are dream, 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 confusion everywhere. You know, and I can come and say, yeah, the Holy Spirit told me this and used me this way. That's not, it can't not be. So you cannot use your dreams. Thank God for your dreams. If you are dreaming, praise the Lord. Just dream good one for me. If you drink, dream, dream bad one, I will not, I'll drive you away. Just dream good one for me. So if you are dreaming, hallelujah, please keep on dreaming. Wonderful. But don't teach it. Don't use it to teach doctrine. It will cause confusion. You don't do that. You don't say, God showed me this, God showed me that. Because you use it to teach me. No, no, don't do that. You use scripture. Jesus used scripture. Paul used scripture. You use scripture. A slump onto your feet and light onto our path. You use scripture. 
Because that's from where the doctrine comes. Number two, testimony is not a doctrine. You can't say, you, because I gave this testimony, it becomes a doctrine. No. Testimony is just your personal experience with God. For instance, I can say, you know, God can heal me directly without a doctor or anything. Because Jesus was healing people directly without doctor or not. He was healing them. And he can still do that. He still does that. So God can heal me on my faith. I can share that testimony. But that's my personal experience. It's my personal experience. Testimonies are just to inspire you. And then God can heal me directly on my faith today. Maybe tomorrow he'll ask me to go to Beth Israel. And he'll still heal me with doctors. If you study how Jesus worked, there are people he came, spit into their eyes. Spit, right into their eye. This <laughs> is not the, you spit into their eye. There are people who came, he will make clay, take it and rob them. In fact, that's why he's, he, he touched his saliva and put on the man's saliva. <laughs> Different things God does. When we teach about the gifts of the Spirit, you realize that this is, there are various manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And then I'll, then I'll teach how you identify the true one. That's a way to know. So testimonies are wonderful. They inspire us. But don't copy people's testimony. Don't copy. Don't add beyond the level of grace God has given you. Whatever works for you, go. I, when, I, when, I meet, when I pray for people who are sick, I ask them, where are you comfortable? If they say they are comfortable with doctors, that's where we're all heading. Because that's where their faith is. And it will work. They will get healed. So, I'm just using it as an example because that's the commonest testimony we, we give. You know, to God be all that glory, you know. So when somebody gives a testimony of his diet, what God does with him directly, that's not a doctrine. The doctrine says that God heals. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed, sure. But everybody builds their faith. We are not at the same, you know, everybody builds their faith. And faith is individual thing. You, it's your own personal, it's individual thing. People should be comfortable where their faith is working at the moment. And they keep growing in it. Keep growing in it. So testimony is not a doctrine. And let me repeat it again. Do not copy people's testimony. Thank God for it. But go have your own personal experience with God. Walk with God and the Holy Spirit will guide you in his, where he wants to do something in a different way. There is, you can pray and God will provide you financial miracle directly from John. Another time, he won't, do, he won't provide it through John. He can provide it through your job. So we're just saying that dreams and visions is not doctrine. Testimonies is not doctrine. Doctrine is from Scripture. And then, don't go and see, oh, because God did it like this for me. If, if he's not doing it for you that way, it's not, true. it's not right. It's not true. It's not true. Don't bamboozle people in where they are let them, come, come, encourage them where they are and stay where you are. You know, all of us are growing. Rome was not built in a day. If you want to, if you want to see a doctor, go and see a doctor. I once went to see the doctors and they told me I'm heavier than them. I said, before I'm <laughs> They did all the things they did, did my blood work, everything. 
You are headed than us, so your heart is up. We don't see anything wrong with that. I said, before uncle, what did you expect? I'm headed than you now. So I went. <laughs> so I mean, all I'm trying to say is that testimony is not doctrine. But it inspires you to see what God has done in the life of this person. But you go develop your personal work with God. It's individual work. You go back to scripture and start studying and start meditating. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in the way. And your faith will grow up. Maybe at a point you start receiving healing directly from God. Maybe at a point you come to a point where you say, well, I can stand this thing. And then you get inspired to do that. And you do that, you see it works. And nobody can stop you anymore. Praise the Lord. And we talked about water baptism, the significance of it. Is water baptism signifies the curtain of our Christianity. The curtain. It's our death with Christ, burial with Christ, resurrection with Christ. That's the core thing. That's the core thing. Even this fruit of the Spirit, it's, that's the core thing. That's why it's, it's happening. And every Christian should understand the importance of our dying with Christ, uh, rising with him, being, being raised with him, and even ascending with him because we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are no more separated from him. You must see yourself united with Christ, sharing your life together. You must see Christ in you by faith. That fact that Christ lives in you must be alive in you. All this teaching, there must be alive in you. If you are confessing scriptures, Psalm 103, 1 to 5, but it is not alive in you, it won't work. The Bible says with, with, you make confession with the mouth, but you believe with the heart. You say it, you hear it, it gets into the heart as a seed. Then out of the abundance of your heart, you are now speaking. Don't parrot things. It won't work. You have to come out of the abundance of your heart. It comes as a word of faith. That's how it works. But you have to really pray and make sure you meditate sufficiently until that word enters you. I tell Christians, do not Live on presumption. It's dangerous. Don't do stuff like that. You get confused. Follow scriptures. Let that word dwell in you, abide in you, live in you, be active in you. Once it has a presence in you, it has a result, automatic. You can't have fruit. You can't have harvest without seed. So what about this in Romans 6, verse 3? Or have you forgotten that when we, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him when we came to Christ, we were baptized into Christ. We joined him in his death too. For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism, by joining with him. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live this new life. He said, that's how we came about this new life. We died with Christ. We're buried with him. We rose with him. When you go into water, that's what you're signifying. I died with Christ. Buried with him. Rose with him. I'm a new creature. That's what water baptism 
is. And then you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are some wars being fought <laughs> by people who have time. I tell people, I say, stop all these wars, my friend. The Bible says love each other. It didn't say fight wars. They are fighting major battle. Hey, we're baptized in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. And people say, no, no, no. We're baptized in the name of Jesus. What's your problem? <laughs> it's the same. The same. You baptize Jesus said, yeah, baptized in the name of God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. But the early church was baptized in the name of Jesus because vested in that name is all the authority of heaven. <laughs> all the authority of heaven, God gave it to us. He said, this name I give to you. Every authority of heaven, approval of heaven is on this name. So if you baptize in that name, it's, it's the same thing. All the, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all the authority is vested in that name. It's vested there. Let me show you a scripture. Colossians 2.9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. All the fullness of God. All the fullness of God. And in Philippians 2.9. Wherefore God also had highly exhausted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, every authority in heaven, things on earth, this under the earth. Every authority of God is vested in, in that name. So you can baptize in that name. Oh, we say, Pastor, is exact? Look at Act 19.5 now. See, example. When they had this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's Paul. Baptized in the name of, they didn't say, baptized in the name of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can do that. It's fine. But don't fight battles over this. Please, go and learn to love one another. That's what we're teaching here. Let love, love be the most, not theology. Let love, love be the primary thing. If you love your brother, I forget about all these arguments. Paul baptized in the name of Jesus. And God confirmed it. Look at verse, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. God baptized them the Holy Spirit right away. He didn't say, Paul, you see that thing you did is wrong. No. Baptized them with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all of the men were about 12. Now, we talked about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we talked about the Holy Spirit baptism, baptized in the name of uh, God the Father. Yeah, okay. So we learned that. Now, we, uh, we talked about sanctification. Sanctification, we have Positional sanctification, where we are sanctified, when we come to Christ, we are holy. We are washed with the blood. We are holy. Okay? And then we have another, another sanctification in that the new nature we have is holy and righteous because it's the life of God. Then there's this, this process of sanctification where the, the, this work that has been completed in us is being now made to come to manifest outside. So as we learn it, understand it, see ourselves as God sees us, renewing our mind, the process of sanctification continues. Wherein the sanctified character you have begins to control you and dominate you. It's a process. 
So we have scriptures for that, Hebrew 10.10. 10. By that will we have been sanctified, you see? You see, by, by the will of God, that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. So we have been sanctified. New Living Translation says it is the will of God that will be made holy through the blood of Jesus. So we have been sanctified. Then Ephesians 2.24 says, put on the new man created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So the new creature is righteous and holy. Then there is this process now of making that new man in you dominate and be seen as controls your character. Then he said in, uh, in Hebrews 2.11, for both he, Hebrews 2.11, for both he who sanctifies, he sanctifies those who come to him. And those who are being sanctified, he sanctifies people. And then there's being sanctified, two processes. He who sanctifies when you come to him. And then those who are being sanctified are all one. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So when you come, you are sanctified. He sanctifies people. Jesus said, we are sanctified by faith that is in him. So when you come, he sanctifies you. And then there is there's this continuous sanctifying. But he still calls our brethren. We are still children of God. And if we are children of God, then we have right to every blessing of heaven, including baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was told that I was not sanctified when I got saved. And therefore, I was not entitled to baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is wrong. We just read here that Paul baptized them in water, and they lay hands on them, they got baptized. Which is wrong. Until I studied scriptures and realized that it's a gift. So I sat down in my room, I said, who waits for a gift? <laughs> Why should I wait? Where's, what, what am I waiting for? It's a gift. It's, it's right here. I said to God, oh my God, I said, this is a gift to us who are saved. Why have I been waiting? I don't have to do anything. I just have to receive it right now. The Holy Spirit has come already. I say, Lord, right now I expect to be baptized because it's, my, it's a gift. I'm receiving it by faith. I started to speak in tongues. Right in my bedroom, nobody taught me anything. Nobody taught me anything. I learned it from Scripture. So today we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Which is the fruit of the new life? Is the new life, the life of the new nature you have, manifesting, producing its character. That's the character of the new nature, the new life you have. It's called the fruits of the spirit. And then this is one of the most misunderstood topics in Christendom. This fruit of the spirit, people think all manner of things about it. I'm not kidding. <laughs> a lot of people get confused. What is this? Is this, is this, is this obeying Moses? Is it the law of Moses? It's not the law of Moses. Totally different. Completely different. But let's read, let's read, read, read scriptures. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, 
Against such there is no law. Now, when you read this translation, can you put that verse 22 up for me again? Galatians 5, 22. But 22. No, 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 no. no. Go, go back to King James Version. Galatians 5, 22. King James Version. The one you just pulled down. Not this one. Yeah. But the fruit of the Spirit. Did you notice the capital letter S? What they interpreted this is, it, they, they say it's this fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's what is the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. The fruit, and you look at many translations put capital S. Because capital S represents the Holy Spirit. Small S represents the human spirit. It's not the life of, if it's the life of the Holy Spirit, then I have no, he's the one doing it. So he's the one. So if he doesn't produce it, it's his fault. Oh, it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Then I found by the grace of God, one translation that got it correct. I was certain, I said, there has to be a translation that understands this thing. And then I found it, God's word translation. Put it up now. But the spiritual nature produces, I say, yeah, that's it. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's our spiritual nature. It's the new man. He has a character. His character is the character of God. He already has it in him. He's created like that. Created to be like God. But the spiritual nature produces. That's the correct, accurate translation. The same thing they did with the you know, the gifts of the Spirit, they might be, they, no, no, but that translation is the things of the Spirit. It's not the, the things of the, when we come there, you see, the, the things of the, this one is accurate, but the spiritual nature of man, the new man, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self, gentleness, self-control. These are, there are no laws against things like that. That is the accurate Translation. It tells you that it is your new nature, it is the new man that is manifesting this thing. It is his character, surely. That is his character. When he dominates, he'll be producing this thing. So it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the Ephesians 4 24 says, Put on the, your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. So we walk in this new life, people. People, it's not, it's not John the it's not Moses. So. It's, it's life. It's not law. It's life that is manifested. The life of Christ. So our Lord Jesus explains it here. John 15, 4. Remain in me. Watch this word. Remain in me. Some translations say abide in me. Remain in me, which means trust in me. Abide in me. Paul said, I want to be seen in him. Remain in me, and I remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. If you don't rely on me, you cannot produce this thing. It's not a question of obeying the laws of Moses. This is my life that is flowing through you. If you are severed from me, you're cut off from the source. You cannot 
Savior from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. You cannot. It's impossible. People, it's impossible. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Let me ask us. When you see a tree, where do you see the fruit? Is it on the branch? I mean, on the branch or on the stem? I'm asking. Huh? Where do you go and pluck your mango? In the branch? Or the root? Is it not on the branch? Right? So if, if we are the branch, so where is the fruit supposed to show? Is it not you? The branch? It's hanging here. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's, it's you. Carrying, it's you. It's hanging on you. It's you. He says, I am not the branch. You are. I'm just the stem carrying you. But the branch, branch, is what you are. So the fruit is seen in me, the branch. But it's the life of Christ within Flowing, flowing. It's not his responsibility to be a fool. It's my responsibility. That's why I said, any branch in me that does not be a fool, I cut it off. It's my responsibility. We must get it straight. I told you, I said, this is the, one of the most misunderstood topics in Christendom. Those who remain, where are we? Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's a simple thing. He said, if you trust, if you believe in me and I'm in you, remember, Christ in you, the hope of what? Glory. And the, the Bible said, let this truth, let Christ live in you by faith so that you can know the love of God what the love of God has done in your life. So you are filled with the fullness of God. It's not Ten Commandments. It has nothing to do with Ten Commandments. Absolutely nothing. It's a different system. Jesus said, those who remain in me, I in them, will produce much fruit. That's how it happens. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. It all hinges on remaining in him. He keeps saying it, remain in me, I in you. Remain, several times, remain in me, I in you. Anyone who is not going to trust me, believe the works I've done for him on the cross, he's not going to rely on me, will not bear fruit. You turn away like a useless branch and withers. And you see a lot of Christians who are withered. They are weak, tired, they can't pray, they can't do anything. They don't even understand scriptures. They just don't understand anything. They are so spiritually weak. 
you are teaching scriptures, they are not even alive. They come to church, drag themselves, come. they are looking for a miracle. They are not looking for what God says, my primary thing is for you to live holy. That, that's not their goal. That's not their goal. No, no, no. They don't have time for all this kind of things. Many Christians are spiritually weak. If you, if you go around churches, let me tell you something. You enter some Sunday school classes, even life centers, it's dead. There's no life in it. The person is teaching, there's no life because it's dead. He's completely withered. There's no strength. There's no life. You go to some other classes, it's, it's, it's churning up fire. The person is so much alive, man. He's teaching. He's, he's bubbling up. And people who are hearing him, he's, he's, they're bubbling up. He's very much alive. This person is withered. One time they told me about one, one man. They said, oh, he's been a Christian a long time, a long time. He, they came to our church and we gave him Sunday school class. He didn't know the first thing to teach. Not one thing. I'm not kidding. Not one. And if you see, ah, it's a long time. Oh, we know you. I said, really? Okay, fine. Teach this class. We die branch. Nothing. You're teaching or you're teaching about who you are in Christ. That's what Jesus did for you. It's like going to hospital and teaching somebody who, who has malaria, has no energy. He's not listening to you. He has dehydration. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, my words remain in you, my words remain in you, you may even ask anything you want to, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. You are my true disciples. It's not at the good church, at the good. No, it's not. no, 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 no. When you produce, when my life is showing in you, because that's the primary thing that this life of Christ is formed. Paul said, I keep praying, I keep traveling until this life of Christ is formed in you. That's the primary thing. You come to a place of maturity where you are no more tossed about by every wind of doctrine that comes to town. You are not chasing miracles. You are chasing Christ. You are following truth. You want to know him. He takes number one place in your heart and your love is on things on high. The miracles follow you. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit teaches this thing in Romans 7, 4. Let's hear the Holy Spirit teaching us about the fruit of the new nature, the new man. Romans 7, 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. What is the point, Paul? You die to the power of the law. Under the law, it's not Moses. We die to the power of the law when you die with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. 
You are united. You are abiding in him. He's abiding in you. You are united. You are sharing one life with him. Look at the result of this united. Listen to the result, church. You are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, Jesus said, if you abide in me and abide in you, you'll be a fruit. It's not struggle something. No, no, no. It's natural. I don't see any branch struggling. Once it's attached, things come natural. He said, as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Why do you produce it? You are united with him. He's the branch, united with him as a branch, sharing his life, sharing his word. See yourself in him. See him in you, the hope of glory. That's why you overcome this world. Say, you've overcome this world because the greater one is in you. Paul said, I want to be seen in him. I don't want the righteousness of the law. I want to be seen in Christ. He's my life. He's my everything. Verse 5. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. When we, we were not saved, controlled by our old nature, sinful desires, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused those evil desires and produced a harvest of sinful deeds. You see what they say? That the law arouses sinful character. The law arouses sin. That if you have sinful nature, because you have sinful nature, what does sinful nature do? It disobeys law. And you bring law, it does exactly what it does by nature, it disobeys it. One translation said that the law arouses um, virulent, virulent behavior in man. Resulting in death. Verse 6. Can we look at... Verse 6 is amazing. Man, you can't read verse 6 and sit down. If you read verse 6, you should be jumping all over the chair. Feeling so excited. But now... But what? Now. We have been released from what? The law. So it's no more able to arouse those things. It's no more... We're not on diet. Read from the law. For we die to it and are no longer captives to its power. We don't live by it. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letters of the law. So you see, fruit of the Spirit is not obeying the law. Read it for yourself. I was confused here for a long time. 
I couldn't tell them apart. I was really confused. They realized that in the body of Christ, there's so much like I was. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. How do we serve God now? But in the new way of living in the spirit. That's how we serve God now. We don't look to the laws of Moses. Do you know the laws of Moses taught divorce? Are you kidding me? You don't know. You should know now. The laws of Moses said you should divorce, divorce, divorce your wife. They said to Jesus, Moses wrote us a law that we should divorce our wife. Also, the laws of Moses taught an eye for an eye. If you want to go towards the law, you finish yourself. It's not love. It's not love. Jesus said, you people know it's written, an eye for an eye, but no more. <laughs> Don't go that through that law, no, it's no more. He said, you shouldn't divorce your wife, so no more. So we're no more following the law. We serve God by the new spirit we have. If any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. He that is born of the spirit is spirit. We are born again. We are united with Christ, joined with him, so we can bear fruit naturally, effortlessly. And Paul told us what he meant when he says, when he says, but in the new way of living in the spirit, he tells us what it means. Because in Philippians 3, 3, he says, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We do not put we do not put confidence in human effort. It's not human effort. It's not human do no, let me do this, let me do that. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. That's not it. That's not it. So we rely on what Christ has done. We abide in him. We believe him. We Accept it. Our faith is in him. That's why I say I want to be seen in him. So I can gain Christ. So I can walk with him. And to know him more. He had, oh my God. Paul had incredible desire to live the resurrected life. He had, it was his passion to live this new life. He says, so that I might attain to this resurrection. So I can live this new life that I'm resurrected with Christ. He said, I want to know him more. I want to, so that I can live this life, this, to, I can attain unto the resurrection. So I can live this resurrected life that he gave me. It was his desire. He said, I've not attained, but I keep pressing forward. All my life will reflect the fullness of Christ. It was his desire. It was his desire. Romans 6, 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. We don't. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. 
It's God's grace that brought us this new. Remember, God, this, where we started, God wants us to be holy. And he did this through the grace of Christ. And in Galatians 5.18, but if you are laid of the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. If you are led of the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you in the path of Scripture. We teach you the Bible. Say, look, you are united with Christ now. You are a new creature now. You have a new life now. Just believe it. And you will see it manifest. Now Paul talked about the frustration of people who don't understand this and who, want, who think it's the law. The frustration they face in Romans 7, 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said the answer is in Christ, not in me. This struggle, this struggle, this struggle. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see now how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. This is talking about when he was a slave to sin. In Christ, we are no more slave to sin. See, that's the struggle. But when you come to Christ, remember then chapter 8 of Romans and chapter 7 is continuous argument Paul is making. The Bible was not, anybody here, have you ever written a letter to somebody? Anybody? Let me see your hand if you have. Did you write it in chapters? Huh? So when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write it in chapters. So you can come from chapter 7 to chapter 8. In fact, from chapter 6, you will see where he's developing this thing. You are dead to sin. Sin is no more your master. You are united with Christ. You are a new creature. You can bear fruit. You can choose to do right. You are now a slave to righteousness. He was writing it to chapter 7. He started to talk about the uselessness of the law. The uselessness of the law. And he came down and started to talk about how we now live in the spirit. And then this thing he wrote in chapter 7 continues in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Remember, I said the answer is in Christ Jesus. He continues to develop that thought. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you belong to Christ now. You are no more a slave to sin. He said the power of the life-giving spirit of Christ has freed you from the power of sin that produces death. You're no more a slave to sin. Let's continue. Verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us. See why we're not under the law? Was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be freely satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Following the spirit. If you are led of the spirit, you are not under the law. If you walk in the spirit, 
Paul said, we depend on what Christ has done. He that is born of the Spirit is spirit. You are born again. You are born spirit. You are born with the nature of Christ. You are born with the life of God. You've got to believe, abide in it. Let this word abide in you. Let it get into you and, be, and control your thinking, control what, your mind. Don't just read it and then go away. And it's not in you. If it's not in you, how can it be a fruit? So by this sacrifice of Christ, by the death that he died, we got a new life. This, it started this from chapter 6. I meditate on Romans 6 by the grace of God. Virtually every morning, I go through, because I, my, my heart desire is to live this resurrection life. I go through chapter 6, chapter 7, up to chapter 8, some part. Virtually every morning, I pray over it, meditate over it. I say, Lord, this word must abide in me. It must enter my spirit, enter my heart. It must have a place. It must live there. It has to produce fruit. I said, I'm seeking this like Paul is seeking it. It's my heart desire. I want to live the fullness of Christ. What do I have on this world remaining? The fullness of his life. Actually, the Lord directed me there. Then after that, I now go to Psalm 103, all those ones. You know, I come back to Romans. I read this Romans 8.2. I go to Romans 8.11. The Spirit of Christ in me gives life to my mortal bodies. And then I switch over to Isaiah 41, Isaiah 53. I made a lot of scriptures. I just keep going for And I can be maintained on this and then from there, I'm going to other scriptures and just thanking God for it. They're confessing it all the time. I mean, to God be the glory. It's not because I'm good or better, but I'm just sharing what I do as a pastor. My life should be transparent. So Romans 6, 5. Since we have been united with him in his death. He said, say because he say Christ came and died for us. He said, what the Lord could not do, God did. He sent Jesus to die for us. So what did that death do for us that the Lord could not do? Look at it here. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Verse 6, we know. Ah, that's amazing. We, it's not that they told us. No, no, we know this fact. That our all sinful self, we are crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. The Lord couldn't do this. God sent his son. By sacrificing him, he produced this for us. We know it. You should know it too. Let this word abide in us. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful self, we are crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Paul said, I was a slave, frustrated life. I found the answer in Christ, not in the law of Moses. I couldn't save nobody. Verse 8, and since we died with Christ now, we know, another knowing, <laughs> we know, we will also live with him. We are sure, <laughs> oh my God, this world is abiding in this one. We are sure, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and we, will, and we never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead 
to the power of sin and the life to God through Jesus Christ. Consider yourself the same process. You died with him. You rose and the power of sin has been broken over you. Jesus said, if you abide in me by faith, if you believe me, if my words abide in you, if, if you believe I'm in you, I am joined to you, one spirit. If you believe, if I'm abiding in you, if I abide in you, if you can believe that I'm in you, that this Christ is in you, is the strength of your life. If you can believe this thing, that you are in me, that I'm you, that we are joined together, we become one spirit, and sharing one life with me. He said, if you can believe this, if you believe this, if you do, even your prayer will be working. So you can bear fruit. So this new life works now just simply by faith. It's called the life of faith. It's simply by faith. Faith is obedience of the New, of the new Testament. If you read the book of Hebrews, you see where the Bible says that those who are unbel- in unbelief, they are disobedient and they have hardened heart and they provoke God. And God swore they will never see his blessing because they won't believe him. So Ephesians 2.8 God saved you by, the, by grace, by his grace, when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. This new creation is what makes it possible for us to live this life. If we don't have this life, if we don't have this new nature, we can't live it. That's why Jesus said, without me, you cannot produce any fruit. So he said, he, said, he has created us, I knew, in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things now. He planned for us long ago. He has given us the new nature. All things that pertain to life and godliness, he gave us in Christ. So we can live a godly life. He said, don't say who will go up and bring Christ from, from up. And don't say who will go down and bring him. He says, in your mouth, if you believe it, in your heart, if you believe it. So it is primarily a work of faith. Hebrews 6, 11, 6. But without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. Impossible. 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 Not possible. Hebrews 4, 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they had did not profit them. Why didn't it profit them? They couldn't bear fruit. Not being mixed with faith in those that had it. Then Hebrew 10, 38. Now the just shall live by what? Faith. That's how we live it. 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 And then Hebrews 4, 11 says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man will, will fall after the same example of unbelief, of not abiding, of not believing. You enter to the rest. Stop in your labor and accept the labor that Jesus accomplished, the work you already accomplished. If you believe the gospel, we see it. 
praise the Lord. Then this fruit of the Spirit is not Holy Spirit baptism. Again, people think the Holy Spirit baptism is what brings this life. It's not. What brings this life is Christ in you. You are joined to him. Holy Spirit baptism is the Spirit of Christ upon you. And the Holy Spirit is one. It's not two. The Spirit of Christ is also the Holy Spirit of God because Christ is God. So when the Bible says you are, you, you, know, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you have the Spirit of Christ, and that Spirit of Christ is also the Holy Spirit. And the, the Scripture uses the same word in Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, using the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. It's by his spirit it dwells in us. That spirit in us is the spirit of God. It's the spirit of Christ. There's no two Holy Spirit. It's just one. And the, Holy, the same spirit that lives in you, the Holy Spirit comes, comes upon you. He lives in you. He comes upon you. Just like Christ lives in John, lives in me, lives in you, lives in you, lives in you. It's the same Christ. It's not divided. It's this one, one Christ. It's only God that can do that. And what makes you bear fruit is 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We become one. We abide with him, become one. It's not spirit upon. Now, I want to show us that this scripture that is so popular in the Christian world, they use it to teach Holy Spirit baptism. And they say that it brings wisdom. It doesn't. It doesn't. Or they say it came upon Christ to give him wisdom. No, let me tell us something. Jesus had wisdom before the Holy Spirit baptism came. At the age of 12, we went to the temple, bamboozled all the doctors. Why? Christ, God was in him. God, when he came, he said, man, God is here. God, was, God, God has always been in him. It's not the seed of man. The seed of woman. It's not of the line of Adam. It's of the line of God. Say, I came from heaven. So when you are born again, you too come from heaven. Because you have his spirit. He went in there, look at it, Luke chapter 2, verse 45. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that had him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Twelve years old. Twelve years old. Adam had the same thing. Before Adam was corrupted with, with sin, Adam saw Eve. He said, this is from my side. It's from my bone. It's my rib. This is where she came from. Every animal, she knew their name. So the scripture we read, they use always Isaiah 11 from verse 1. And there shall come up forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow out of his roots, that is Christ now. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now they say that it is that spirit upon him that impassed this and say, no, he had it before the baptism of the Holy He had fear of the Lord. He had it. When you get born again, you have you acquire that nature. 
That's what we're talking about. He had it. What he's telling us is what the Holy Spirit does. It's a spirit of wisdom. It gives knowledge. When we pray, does he give you revelation upon you? Is it not in your heart? Is it not to your spirit? And the Bible says you have the anointing in you. That the anointing teaches you everything. It's that spirit in you that teaches you everything. Because it teaches you through your spirit. Not upon you. Yeah, it's the spirit of wisdom, all right. It's the spirit of knowledge, all right. But it works knowledge and wisdom inside. And manifests power upon. The scripture is not confused. It manifests power upon. Jesus says you shall receive power. After the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. He said, don't witness until you're dealt with power. He didn't say until you're dealt with wisdom, no power. Why? The works I did should do them. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For as anointed me to preach the gospel, break yokes, do this, this. And he said, the church should go and do this thing. With that same anointing upon. So, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not what produces the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced because we are united, you are abiding in the vine, and the life is flowing, and you are the branch. Praise the Lord. When I enjoyed this teaching, I don't know if you enjoyed it. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you again for teaching us this very important, very, very important topic. We should aspire to live the resurrected life. The life that flows from Christ. The life you gave us already. We should aspire to make it the dominant life of our lives. It's our responsibility to bear fruit. Every plant that does not bear fruit, you cut it off. Help us to understand that this is our responsibility. It's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit's responsibility to bear fruit. It is us that you put to use what you have given us. We should put it to use. We should put it to use. We should put it to use. Help us, Lord, to understand this. There's a lot of misunderstanding in your body about the fruit of the Spirit. People think it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. People think it's obeying the law of Moses. People think it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's none of those things. It's only when we abide in Christ. And he abides in us. His word abides in us. We bear fruit. Help us understand these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.